The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass presented by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. Please, 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 please subscribe to us. Every platform lets you do it and we'll notify you each week when we drop the next episode. Pets can add a lot to a family. They can be fun, they can be therapeutic, they become a family member. But pets also bring with them a lot of questions. How much is this gonna cost? What if it gets sick? How am I gonna fit my boa constrictor into that 50 gallon tank? Here to walk us through some of the answers is Lisa Parshley. Lisa is a veterinarian who works with animals that have cancer. She's a pet owner herself and also a friend of mine. This was a really fun, informative conversation and I think you're gonna get a lot out of it. Yeah, actually, I've worked on polar bears. I've worked on leopards and elephants and wolves. But yeah, polar bear, we didn't operate. Well, I guess I didn't do the surgery, but I was there for the anesthesia, which was a pretty phenomenal situation because we actually had to do it. That Polar bears are over a thousand pounds. It took 12 people to lift them onto the operating table. And we had to do it in what looked like a big garage because he's so big. Um, But I also was one of the first uh, oncologists in the world to give chemotherapy to this bear. It was pretty phenomenal. And I, if I do say so myself, because of the work we did, he went from not wanting to swim, which polar bears love to swim, going out and going swimming within three weeks of his first therapy. Nice. That's incredible. I imagine with leopards and stuff, that'd be pretty scary if they're not super, super sedated. Oh yeah, they are. Yeah. They, they call it immobilization when they go to a zoo Mm -hmm. and they try to do it as gently as they can and not use the dart that everybody thinks about from TV. They try to put it in a special treat so that they fall asleep. Um, But yeah, the leopard, uh, they were all asleep, uh, but just kind of amazing to be up that close and touch them. The leopard's coat is silky soft. It's just, uh, yeah. Well, so today we're talking about somewhat smaller pets, um, you know, <laughs> pets that you have in your home. What do you think families should be thinking about when considering to get an animal? You know, there's some really fantastic websites that can quiz you on what kind of animal you might fit. Mm-hmm. And then if you pick, say, like a dog, it can help you pick the right breed because each breed of dog is just like different humans. You want to match the personalities because you don't want to get a, for example, if you're a sedentary person that likes to hang out and do computer work or computer games or, you know, um, watch a lot of TV, you don't want to get a Jack Russell Terrier who needs a lot of activity and a lot of work. So finding a good website, and there's many of them. As a matter of fact, I think one is called uh, What's the Best Pet for Me? Mm-hmm. And you, they will ask you a series of questions. And then it will come up with a, you know, cat, dog, and then breeds. 
And uh, that's what I would do because it's, it's, you have to match. It's like a dating game. You got to make sure that you're going to be compatible. What do you think about, I'm kind of leery on exotic animals like snakes or big lizards. Do you have any opinions on those sort of animals? Yeah, uh, I actually have quite a few friends that are interested in those, but I've also had friends that have gotten them and they're not what they think they are. Mm -hmm. um, and I am leery on that because they do take special care and it and special setups. For example, a friend of mine is is fanatic for snakes, but he has this computerized timing system of the time, the how long the light is on the snake, what's the temperature, when do they get water, what's the humidity. So that's a lot more of a commitment to the special needs of these animals, and and you really have to put the effort and honestly the money into it. Yeah, well, and sometimes animals can get more aggressive too. Yes. I feel like with some animals, eventually they remember like, hey, I'm a wild animal. And then they start acting accordingly. Yes. yes. And as a matter of fact, pigs are really, a lot of people go out and get pet pigs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're cute. And they're, they're, they're actually cleaner than people think. And they're very, very smart. But they will reach a period in their life, I think around a couple of years old, where they will want to be the dominant. Mm -hmm. And if you're not prepared for that, they can actually make your life miserable and their life miserable because they're trying to figure out who's the boss. Is it just a matter of overpowering them and like holding them down and being like, I'm the dominant animal or no? No, it's, it, it's, your, it's body language. It's um, how you speak with them because they, they are communicative um, and getting someone who actually knows how to train them correctly. Yeah, I wouldn't want to feel like I'm in a power struggle with my animal anyway. That doesn't sound fun. Um, and no. You touched on something that's important, which is the financial side of owning an animal. And that's one of my hesitations is it just seems like it could be a huge financial burden or an animal gets sick or breaks its leg. And then it's like, be ready to shell out thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. Um, I, when folks ask me about, you know, what's this going to cost? I actually feel comfortable because they're thinking about that. And the way I look at it is if you're going to get, let's just say it's a dog. Mm -hmm. um, the first things I recommend to people is that you get insurance. There's a couple good insurance companies out there that you pay 10% or just the exam fee and they pay the rest, cool. but you also commit to doing preventative health, just like for us, if you keep your animal healthy, yeah, it costs money every year. Vaccines, physicals, dentals, you actually end up spending less money in the long run than not doing that. For example, parvo is a, is a puppy disease. And if you don't vaccinate for that, I happen to know that if you that puppy needs care and is going to live through parvo, it could be thousands of dollars. Whereas a vaccine and a visit to your vet is 150 bucks, maybe 200 bucks, depending upon the clinic. Yeah. What do you think about microchipping them? Is a collar as good or? A microchip. And I speak as an experience of um, both being an emergency vet during my uh, career and owning an emergency clinic. When a puppy or a dog shows up or a cat and, no, you know, they're found strays we can put the microchip scanner over the top of the skin and we can connect the animal back to their family. Those are the successful, especially if we have to spend money because it's a broken leg 
and we can't find the family and we have to bring the animal control services in, depending upon how serious of the injury, it may be elected to put the animal to sleep or not get the appropriate care because we can't find somebody to help us make these decisions. Mm. What about getting animals neutered? Because is that the right thing to do? Do you think the animals are upset afterwards or? You know, there's a lot of controversy. If you go on Dr. Google, you're going to see people that are really polarized on this. I think it's a good thing. And here's why. There's a fantastic study by Banfield Animal Hospitals, like millions of dogs study. This is not a small study showing the dogs that are spayed and neutered. Neutered is for both male, female actually live on average over a year longer than those dogs that are not spayed and neutered. They are healthier and they live longer. So you're going to have a dog that's going to be healthier and live longer. You're going to have less problems with a, a male dog running off to find a female dog. Um, so they escaping. It's just in general, unless you're a, a good, uh, somebody who's going to really put the effort into breeding a, an animal, I would just say, get them spayed and neutered. It's the data is coming out very strong. Mm. So you're a vet. What, what do you think that people should be looking about when deciding a vet or who's a good fit for them? Um, well, one, make it as funny as this sounds, make it close to your home. Because like I was talking about earlier, commitment to preventative, if it's, if it's a long drive, you may not do it. So make it close to your house. Um, I would get on and look at their Facebook, see what kind of things they're posting. Be careful and beware of reviews, especially these days with COVID. I would do word of mouth. I would uh, find out if, if somebody knows the corner vet and if they're taking their pet there, what do they think of the service? And then if you don't have any of that information, go give them a try. And my rule is, and even with my families that come to me, you know, we have to have confidence in each other. And if there's no confidence, it's no, it doesn't mean the vet's bad. It just means you're not going to click and do the best care for your pet. So go try them out. If it clicks and you're comfortable and you like how the lobby looks, you like how the receptionist uh, is working, the nurses, that's going to be a good fit for you. Um, there are a lot of, for example, in Olympia, I know there's a ton of awesome primary care vets that um, would love to see your pet. And they're all very good. I don't know of a bad one, but it's how you click with them personally. Yeah. Are there any marks of a good or bad vet, like any tells or? Well, you know, the, I believe in, if you've never heard of fear-free practice, it's something that's been gaining speed in the last decade in veterinary medicine, which is how to work with pets in the clinic without having to do restraints, using treats and all the, you know, gentle training and so forth. Look, when you walk into the clinic, look for them, the receptionist's response. Look for how the person that comes to weigh your pet, how they interact. So are they talking to the dog or the cat? Are they trying a treat to get them over to the scale? Um, how are they, are they, you know, I like it when I take a dog to a vet because I, I don't do my own dog vet. When the person that comes to take my dog is actually looking at my dog, not me. Yeah, and I, I remember going to a vet and I was um, picking up one of the pet owners and I was like, is, uh, is Timothy here or is Tim here? And they're like, oh, did you drop him off earlier? 
And I'm, I'm like, no, Tim is a human. I'm, I'm to, you know, but it was cute to think of like, like they think of the animals like that. And I don't know. I just thought that was cute. Yeah. And, and, you know, I um, just, you know, just, I think it's, it's, if you can find a vet or a vet clinic that is really eccentric on the animals, that's really good. And if you're a cat owner, finding a vet clinic that has maybe even a separate entrance, because cats don't like to be in a carrier when there's a room full of rambunctious puppies. Yeah. Um, and if they don't have a separate entrance, they get you into a room really quickly. So your dog's out of, or your cat's out of that chaos. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had a animal bite you or anything? Oh yeah. That's, that's one of the risks of being in the profession. Um, but I can tell you every single time that's happened, it's, it's usually because I've done something that they weren't very happy about. Um, they needed it to get better, but it was never a situation where it was an angry, uh, just vicious animal. It's just a situation. Yeah, totally. It, it seems like it's hard to get vet appointments and animal ER appointments just in general. Yeah. So yeah, it is more difficult. And COVID across the board, whether it's veterinarians or ERs and humans or grocery store clerks has had a toll on those people who were essential from the beginning. So there's a burnout. So we're losing staff and doctors permanently out of the field. Um, so yeah, it is more difficult. Be patient. If, if it's a real concern, there's now websites that say, which ER clinics and Facebooks are actually receiving patients in the state of Oregon and Washington. I've had families that had to drive to Portland to get care. Um, and, and if you're planning a dental, do it months out. If you're going to get your dog neutered or spayed, do it months out because some vets are month out on appointments. Talking about animals feel, being family members, it's always surprising how I guess my experience has just been with dogs, but how emotionally aware dogs can be. Like if you're sad, they can kind of cuddle up to you. Or, I mean, I assume dogs can get depressed and stuff too, right? Yeah. Yeah, they can. Um, especially if they lose a, a pet housemate or a human housemate, they can go through grief. They, they can be sad and um, yeah, they absolutely have emotions. Mm -hmm. And um it stirs up a lot of emotions when a pet dies too. Are there any ways to help families cope with that or anything you tell families to think about or? Yeah, I, I tell families, especially if there's children in the family, be honest with the kids about what's happened. Um, maybe even have them present if you're putting a pet to sleep because it, it is a hard, difficult part of life is losing or death, losing a pet or a human family member and being right up front and honest about what's going on. Kids are pretty good about dealing with this and um, just right up front, just be honest. And then if there's a pet that in the house where you're putting one pet to sleep, bring the other pet. Pets do better if they know what's happening. And, and when all else fails, if you need extra help, I know that there are clinics and uh uh, psychologists and counselors out there that are actually grief counselors and uh, psychologists for grief that are working with pet owners. And then there's a great website. It's called the Argus Institute. And it's part of uh, Colorado State University Vet School, but it's all about the human animal bond 
They have a phenomenal website about how to talk to family members about this. And if you actually need to speak with someone and get some tips, they have uh, email and phone lines. Mm. I, I like the, I mean, it's sad, but I like the idea of being present with the animal as you're putting them down. Cause then it's like, kind of like humans, like surrounded by loved ones and, yes. and for the other dog to kind of see what's happened and not just wonder like, oh, the other dog just disappeared. What's that? So yeah, I think that's just really solid advice. Uh, other than teaching children about death, what other things do you think animals teach children? What are they? Well, you've heard about the stories about um, kids reading to animals that have reading disabilities or kids that have been through trauma they will say things to an animal, a dog, they would never say to a human. And so a lot of the really enlightened groups working with kids that have mental illness or traumas or dis learning disabilities, um, bringing animals in. And there are dogs that are trained to sit there and listen to a kid read or listen to a kid um, talk to them. And, and it can make the world a difference for these children. I mean, we have dogs that go into hospitals uh, mm -hmm. to see children in cancer uh, units to, and other types of units, heart units for kids. And it, everyone that works with the kids say that when these animals come in and they're part of the process, the kids all do universally better. I would go to the juvenile court and, you know, I was working with youth in foster care for a long time. And they'd have a juvenile court support dog to hang out with them and things. So I that's mean, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, a nice dog for a kid who's been through trauma could be really healing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you for all the work you're doing with the animals, keeping them healthy. Um, how can people keep up with you or learn more about your work? Well, I'm, uh, I'm an oncologist or cancer specialist for animals. I hope you don't need to see me, but if you do, um, I own the Olympia Veterinary Cancer Center and we have a Facebook site and we don't just post sad things. We post victories. We post stories about animals and we even have an Instagram for one of our clinic cats because she's very funny. Her name is Karen, the clinic cat. And um, you can certainly get on through Facebook. We also have a website, but our Facebook is probably the most active portion of our clinic. And um, just reach out if you have any questions. Um, and I would also encourage you to reach out if you're in a different place in Washington to some of your local vets, because you know what? Veterinarians and veterinary nurses and staff love to talk about animals. Uh, remind everyone the clinic's name. Olympia Veterinary Specialists, the Cancer Center, or Olympia Veterinary Cancer Center. It's the it, same if you search on the Google for either of those. Well, thank you again, Lisa. You bet. And uh, Bobby, this is fun. Thank you, Lisa. It pays to be informed, because if you're not, things can get rough. This has been the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I am Bobby Williams, wishing you a happy holidays. Peace. <laughs>